Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 35 to 58 for the scripture reading. The sermon text will be in 1 Peter 3, but the scripture reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. This is the word of the Lord. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come the past, the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Turn now to 1 Peter 3 for the sermon text. The sermon text for today is 1 Peter 3, verses 21 and 22. 1 Peter 3, verses 21 and 22. This is the word of the Lord. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us pray his blessing on its preaching. O Lord our God, we thank you and praise you for your word and for this part of it. We ask your blessing now as we attempt to examine it closely and to apply it to our hearts and lives. We ask, O Lord, for the blessing of your Holy Spirit to make this possible and to make this profitable for you and for us. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. In today's text, we are going to encounter encounter several interesting things. First, we shall consider what Peter means when he writes that Baptism corresponds to this, that is, to the floodwaters of the deluge of Noah. Second, we're going to consider how an apostle can affirm that we are saved by baptism. Roman Catholics, of course, hold to what is called baptismal regeneration, which is the doctrine that the waters of baptism are themselves effectual to save that the sacrament itself imparts spiritual rebirth, irrespective of whether faith is present in the adult recipient, and without a view to whether the one baptized is one of God's elect. We will therefore consider how it is that we can interpret Peter to mean something completely different than that, when his words, taken by themselves, appear so plain. We will also consider verse 22 and how it tells us that by rising from the dead and ascending into heaven, Jesus Christ is shown to be a king over a new creation. I've divided today's sermon into three parts. The first part is called the waters of God's judgment. And we'll focus on the words of verse 21 baptism which corresponds to this. Part two I am calling baptism saves you. And that will cover the rest of verse 21. 
In part three, I am calling a king over a new creation. And it will deal with verse 22. So part one, the waters of God's judgment. Peter says here in verse 21 that baptism corresponds to the waters of Noah's flood. In the Greek, Peter says that baptism is an antitype of the flood waters. Before we go into the significance of that, we should take a moment to consider what an antitype is. What are types and antitypes in the Bible? And why does Peter use this word? in reference to baptism, calling baptism an antitype of the waters of the flood. A type is a kind of pattern or a model, a model for something that is modeled after it. And what is modeled after that pattern is called the antitype. A type in the Old Testament serves to illustrate a pattern of God's dealings with men. A type is not a prediction. A type is not a prophecy that calls for a fulfillment. A type is not an allegory. Allegories are indifferent to history. But types and anti-types have a real historical as well as a theological correspondence between them. So a type is not an allegory. A type is a real historical person, or an event, like the flood, or an Old Testament institution that serves to illustrate the same pattern and yet also enjoys a heightening or intensification over the type. So if you were to create a small statue using a mold, the mold and the statue have corresponding features, even if in reverse. The mold that casts the statue enjoys then a correspondence with the statue. But the statue is the greater thing, is it not? The statue is the goal of the mold, the idea that gave form to the mold, even if the mold came first. And that is where we actually get the word type. It comes from the Greek word tupos. And it can refer to this kind of a mold and statue being the anti-type. So what is the correspondence that Peter claims exists between the, the historical floodwaters of the great deluge and the waters of our baptism? The waters of the flood and the waters of our baptism, they both divide one world from another. The waters of the flood separated, divided the former world from this world, as a curtain divides two rooms in a house. This world is divided from the world that then was, Peter says in his other letter, This world is divided from the world that then was by the waters of the flood. And our baptism too, like those waters, separates those who have entered the age to come from those who remain a part of this present evil age. 
The floodwaters divided the wicked from the righteous then as the waters of baptism divide the wicked from the righteous now. The floodwaters were like a great curtain of water separating the world that then was from this world. And the waters of your baptism, too, are like a curtain that follow this pattern. And they divide this present evil age from the age to come. And in passing through those waters, you are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and a subject of its king. When Christ emerged from the other side of his baptism, that is his ordeal at Calvary, that is his death, he initiated a new age with his resurrection. Just as Noah crossed into a new world when he emerged the other side of the flood, and as Noah brought his unworthy family from one age to another, through the water ordeal of God's judgment. Actually, in an ark of wood. So does Christ. He also brings his unworthy family from one age into another. He does this through the baptismal ordeal that he underwent at Calvary. And he does so with the ark of his church. God's patience waited while Noah built his ark, it says in verse 20. God's patience now waits while Christ builds his church. This present evil age with its inhabitants is daily passing away. While we who participate in the age to come by our union with Christ, that union being signified by our baptism, We've died to this present evil age and in fact been initiated into the age to come. So the waters of the flood signaled the passing away of one old world and the inauguration of another new one. The perishing of a ruined world and the recreation of another. And our baptism, the apostle tells us, corresponds to this. move on to part two now. This language, baptism saves you. Let's consider the rest of verse 21. Baptism saves you. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism saves us. Paul clearly, or excuse me, Peter clearly tells us this. But he also provides us a context that helps us to understand what he means. To help us see both how we must not interpret his statement that baptism saves us and how we should interpret his statement that baptism saves us. He first tells us how we are not to do that before he goes on to to help us understand what he means. We are not to take him that he means that baptism 
saves mechanically or automatically. Like water removes filth from the body. It's not the baptismal waters itself, Peter means to say, but the spiritual reality the water signifies. The water of our baptism signifies something else. And it is what the baptismal waters signify. That is what saves us. What does baptism signify then? To what does baptism point as a sign? First, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 3.27, our baptism signifies our union with Christ when he writes that as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Our baptism then signifies our union with Christ. And it is that which saves us. By being baptized, our identification with Christ before God's tribunal is officially established. But as Paul puts it in Colossians 2, having been buried with him in baptism, we were also raised with him through faith. Having been buried with him in baptism, we were also raised with him through faith. Christ was tried before men and was wrongly found worthy of death. And so he was murdered judicially at Calvary. But at Calvary, God subjected Jesus Christ to a trial as well. In what Jesus referred to in the Gospel of Luke as his baptism. But death could not keep him because of his righteousness. And so he rose again from the dead. But he rose for our justification. For we who have been baptized into Christ have, been, have put on Christ. And so are in him, in his resurrection. We have died with Christ to this present evil age. And of course must now live for him. So baptism saves you as an appeal to God from a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In brief, baptism saves through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So really we are saved by our union with Jesus Christ in his resurrection which union is signified by our baptism. Because of our union with Christ by faith, our baptism stands for our passing under the judgment of God. When Christ underwent his baptism at Calvary and came out again, justified. It is only by union with Christ through faith that baptism can save us through his resurrection. Our baptism signifies that union, signifies our participation in his baptism at Calvary, and because it does, Peter can say that we are saved by baptism through the resurrection of Christ. As 
Paul says in Romans 4.25, He was raised for our justification. Being righteous himself, Jesus did not die for his own sin, whose wage is death. Rather, through his union with us, he was condemned for us, died for us, and was raised for us. Yet, beloved, baptism, we must keep in mind, it bears more than merely a symbolic relation or connection to our union with Christ and our salvation. And that is because, as our confession puts it, there is a spiritual relation between the sign and the thing signified. I'll read you a portion of it. Westminster Confession, chapter 27, section 2. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or a sacramental union between the the sign and the thing signified. Whence it comes to pass that the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. So what we can say of salvation, we can often say of baptism. And that's because what baptism points to. What baptism signifies. That is what it's a sign of. As God calls circumcision in the Old Testament the sign of the covenant with Abraham, and yet also calls circumcision itself the covenant in Genesis 17. So Peter says here that baptism, the sign, is the thing it signifies. As the Lord Jesus Christ says himself in the New Testament, while holding up a cup of wine, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So the apostle here can say that baptism saves you. Because as the confession observes, what you can predicate of the, of the thing signified, you can also, covenantally speaking, sacramentally speaking, predicate of its sign. Since union with Christ and the Holy Spirit baptism saves you, Peter can say of the sacrament of baptism that it saves you. Because baptism is the God-established sign that points to these spiritual realities and is sacramentally, spiritually, but not mechanistically tied to them. You can think of the sacraments, including baptism, as the physical gift in the place of, or to represent, a spiritual gift. So in this case, water baptism is the physical thing that God gives us to depict spiritual baptism. Baptism with the Holy Spirit, which does save you. And since God has established such a spiritually and sacramentally sacramentally significant bond between the sign and what it signifies of what what you say of the one you can say of the other. But we must, whether we are speaking of Old Testament circumcision or New Testament baptism or the Lord's Supper, we must remember that what is always assumed 
in Scripture to be present, acting as a bridge between the sign and the thing signified. Is the bridge the bond of spirit-worked faith? Only spirit-worked faith in the spirit-regenerated heart can make Christ's ordinary means of grace effectual unto salvation. Without that spirit-worked faith in the recipient, the sign and the thing it signifies remain unconnected. At least in the adult recipient. So Peter says, through the resurrection of Christ, we can appeal to God from, on the basis of, a clear conscience. We who are identified with Jesus Christ through a spiritual union. A union that is signified by the waters of our baptism. Although the ESV says appeal to God for a good conscience, the Greek may also be translated as from a a good conscience, as the NASB footnote indicates. Because of our spiritual union with Christ by faith, which is signified by our baptism, we are saved and our consciences are cleared through Christ's resurrection. By our baptism, we too have come out the other side in our inner man from the present evil age and have set foot in the age to come in a new world, indeed in a new creation. And this brings us to the final section of today's sermon. Part three, king over a new creation. Let's look again at our text. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he rules over a new age, over a new creation, by virtue of his resurrection, by right of being the firstborn in the new creation. As the old creation, with its own Adam, emerged from the watery world of Genesis 1, with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters of the world that then was, And as Noah, emerging from the floodwaters and into a new world, does so beneath the fluttering of the wings of a dove, so Christ, at his baptism in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, signals God's intention to usher in a new creation by him. The last Adam, and head over a new creation, Jesus Christ, begets by the power of his spirit and the imperishable seed of his word a new race of humanity. He begets as a life-giving spirit, beings after his own kind and likeness. As Adam was a kind of king over the old creation, so the risen Christ is king over the new. Once God had created Adam, 
Genesis 1 records that he gave him dominion over the creatures. He made Adam to be a king over everything else that belonged to that original creation. The resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, the last Adam, inaugurates a new creation and signals his enthronement over, his coming into dominion over the new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If we are in Christ by faith, we are part of the new creation. We in our inner men are citizens of a new age. Even if for a time, During this overlap, if you will, of the ages, our outer man still clings to this present evil age and its ways and its words and its works. And even if for a time, the great state of Texas and the United United States still retain a legitimate claim on our civic duty. Until the consummation... We do maintain a citizenship here. Paul assures us in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. We cannot see our present citizenship in the age to come with the eye of flesh, but only with the eyes of faith. Just as we cannot see him presently ruling and reigning over all things in heaven and on earth. It is because we are a part of the age to come, however, that Paul tells us in Romans 6, that we must walk in newness of life as our resurrected firstborn brother. It is because our risen king, our exalted king, has taken his seat at the right hand of glory. That is why, brothers and sisters, we need not fear man. We need not fear those who can only kill the body. Peter adds these facts about the ascension and the exaltation of our Lord. First, to make us see that the resurrection of Christ is connected with his kingship over a new creation, which we participate in by virtue of our union with him in his resurrection. But in the second place, also, brothers and sisters, he tells us these things to comfort us in our trials and in our afflictions, that we suffer and will suffer at the hands of the children of this present evil age. From those whose portion is in this life only. So Peter tells the churches of which we are one, take courage, saints. Your baptism, which by faith ties you to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was your passage into a new, a spiritual world, a new age of the Holy Spirit, the age to come. 
an age with Jesus Christ reigning as king, who rules over all things, whether in this age or in the age to come, which has already dawned. And he does it all for the benefit, we are told in Scripture, of you, of his church. All has been subjected to our firstborn brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, say the apostles, act accordingly, setting your affections above, and live for him who died for you, and who lives forever with and for you. And fear not. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we, pray, we praise you for these encouraging words. Help us to see with eyes of faith, O Lord, the King of kings and Lord of lords, ruling and reigning now, lifting up and casting down, accomplishing all your will for this world and all of its inhabitants, including and especially your people. Help us, O Lord, to put our trust and our faith in him, not only for our salvation, but also for his government, our confidence in his government. And we pray all of these things in his precious name. Amen.